So in case you didn't kind of pick up on it, I want to talk to you guys around the topic of silence. Um, and it, it's a really, it's funny because it's one of those things that it, it can do a lot to folks. It can make you feel one way or the other. Uh, and, and, but I think it's a really important part of our of understanding like how God uses silence in, in our journey, right? And, and the thing about silence is that it, it, is, it is kind of uncomfortable, right? Like the, the nature of silence is that it's uncomfortable. If I was to drop this chair down right here and just kind of kick my feet up and it'd be really interesting to watch in like a couple minutes, like who would start to get, you know, antsy shifting around and, and all these different things because silence, there's something about silence. It's just, it, it does something to us. And before I dive into it, I want to pray and I want to unpack this topic because I think if we can catch it, I think if we can understand God's kind of purpose and intent behind silence, especially in places like this and cities like this and, you know, in the lives that we live and the, the things that we're hoping to do, I think silence is just part of our journey. It's just part of our journey. And so to be able to understand it, to do well with it, to, to steward it well is something that God's really hoping that we can catch on. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then we're going to dive into it. So Father, I just thank you. And God, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you for everyone here. God, I thank you that, uh, that you've, you've had them here for a reason, Father. And that as we just begin to uh, unpack what it means to just wrestle with your silence, that you'll speak, that you'll, that you'll do what you need to do, that you'll do the internal work, Father, and that you'll maybe reveal something to our, to our hearts, God, reveal something to our minds about who you are that we didn't understand before. And so, God, I just thank you. I thank you for everyone here, and just be with us now as we dive into the word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And silence is tough because it's just one of those things that there's just enough of the opposite. There's so much noise and movement and things going and and even in, in church culture we you know we you know we kind of measure even a lot of ways like your value based on like how much like movement and volume and loudness and things that are going on like oh look at them look at them look at them hashtag bless things are going on things are going on there's a lot of like movement and sound and and whatnot and yet we get to these moments where we see silence and we treat it like it's this terrible thing we encounter silence and I hear about it all the time and when I talk to folks and they talk about the season that they're in and things are quiet and you just see everything start to get rattled. Now listen, silence forever is not a great thing, right? And I don't think God will be silent, but he does use silence for a purpose. Because actually silence over a long period of time is actually a great way to make somebody go crazy. You know, when they want to isolate somebody, they, they put them in a room and with no sound and over time that actually can cause you to go nuts. But God, being God, doesn't want to make us go nuts. He's trying to show us something. He's not trying to torture us, he's trying to reveal something. And again, the very things that we use to kind of torture and torment, God wants to use to, and wants to redeem this idea of what silence does. And actually it speaks more than we assume that it would. And again, as usual, David is our great example, the psalmist, our, the king, who just fully understands what it's like to be human. And at the same time, understand what God is saying. And so I want to read to you this scripture from Psalm 28, verses 1 through 9. Should be up now. It says, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards you, uh, your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their works and according to their evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work. Uh, 
of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord for the work of his hand. He will tear them down and build them up no more. And then, nice little shift. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is a saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Nothing like, you know, a good David story to just show the, the emo nature of, of our human condition. Because he has just this strong, uh, in the beginning, the way most Psalms start off. Don't be deaf to me. Don't be silent. You feel distant. Everything is prospering around me. And then it just kind of clicks over. And now, God, look what you've done. And we don't get a sense of time here. And what we're seeing is that he's doing both things, right? He's living both things in, in real time. That he recognizes where he's at, but at the same time, he's also saying something. And we'll come back to that scripture because I think it, it, it's a profound kind of pivot that he makes. But I want to, in the time that we've got, unpack a few things that are just, I think, simple little truths that we need to understand about silence. Because as you encounter it, it's going to really be important that you recognize how God is working in it. And the first thing I want you to understand is silence does not equate to God not being there. It's the first point. Silence does not equate to God not being there. It does not equate to you being in the wrong place with God. The amount of times I talk to folks that when they say, like, oh, I'm just not hearing from the Lord, and they start to freak out and panic because they're like, oh, I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing. And the, the automatic assumption is that they're doing something wrong. They automatically assume, we automatically assume, if I'm not hearing, if I'm not being spoken to, if something's not being said, then there must be something wrong with me. And nothing could be further from the truth. And our loving Jesus gives us this perfect example in Matthew 26, 36 to 46. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to go to the cross. And so we're going to read this. He goes, and Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he, to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to find his disciples sleeping. Again, Peter just batting a thousand when it comes to just really catching things. He's passed out. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not be entered into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then as he's praying, notices again and again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, the third time, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to the disciples, to them, sleep and take your rest later on. At this point, he's probably just annoyed. See the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of our sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And it's not but a few moments later that the soldiers come, and they take him into custody. And I love that in the midst of this, there's some really key things to catch. He's constantly asking the same thing, and God is not responding at all. 
He goes back three times. If there's any other way, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, can you please make it? And each time, nothing. This is Jesus. Silence. Nothing. All he gets to go back to is his knucklehead disciples that are asleep when they should be awake and praying. And it's so encouraging to us to understand that even Jesus faced silence. But here's the thing. We are allowed to come. And I love that Jesus did this. He came with his petitions. He came with the asking. He came with the, please, if there's any other way, God, will you do this? And a few things we have to catch is that we're going to have to fight the distractions when we have silence. You're going to have to fight your version of some sleeping disciples. You're trying to pray. You've got a crew with you or you're trying to do what you need to do. And it's just somebody's acting weird around you. Something else is going on around you. Something else is happening that's distracting you from just trying to pray. We've got to stop assuming that something is wrong. We have to stop assuming that just because we're not hearing that we've done something wrong. Because it changes our approach in how we pray. If you assume you're doing something wrong, you approach in a different way than if you just are coming to God because you're coming to God to speak. It's different. It changes the way our head and our heart work. And the bigger thing about this passage and the part that's the hardest thing is this usually means that what God said to do to you, for you to do a while ago, he's probably still saying to do right now. Nothing changed. Jesus was sent to die on a cross. He knew that from the moment he got there. He knew that from the moment God put him on earth. He knew he was called to do something. And he gets to this moment right before it's about to happen. And he goes, if there's any other way. And God's like, I'm not going to say anything because I already told you what you got to do. You know what you need to do, my son. And so for Jesus... He was able to get up and move on because he, under, he re- understood, I believe, in that moment that the cross was still his mission. His purpose, his place, the thing he was meant to do was the very thing that God had already told him to do a long time ago. And I think that is a true story for a lot of us. And it's hard. And I've been in those types of situations. I remember when I moved to Australia, I, and I've gone through these seasons and moments in my life where I've kind of felt God do something or I felt a nudge and necessarily didn't maybe to hear something or whatever. And, and one of those things was moving to Australia and I spent, you know, a little over three years there. It's where I met Emily. And, and so, you know, thank God that I went to Australia because I found my wife who's not Australian. She's from Milwaukee, but whatever. As you do, you meet in Australia. In Australia. And, and I remember a few weeks that I'd gotten there, I get a phone call from my mother and she had told me that she had been to the, the, the doctor and had a bit of a rough diagnosis. They had found kind of like a, a larger lump uh, behind her breast, and she was un, un, unsure what the outcome was going to be. Now, immediately, my first inclination was to go home, right? And that was even her expectation. was like, you're going to come back, right? And I was like, yes, absolutely. yeah, of course. And so I remember just being torn because I was, I just gotten there. I just gotten to Australia. I was there two weeks when this happened, and I really... Didn't, you know, kind of felt like as if that was what God wanted me to do. And then here this happens. And so I start to make this, these plans. And in the midst of all that, just doing and not really knowing what to do, God does eventually speak and he goes, what did I tell you to do? And I said, you told me to go to Australia. 
He's like, when did I tell you to do it? A while ago. He's like, what's changed? He's like, well, my mom's sick. He goes, right, but what did I tell you to do? He told me to go to Australia. Okay, so what's changed? And I remember that being one of the hardest moments of my faith journey. Because here I was trying to find something new, and yet God's saying, I didn't change my mind. The thing I told you to do is still the thing I need you to do. And I remember having one of the hardest conversations with my mom a few days later, talking to your mother and saying, I, I know I need to stay here. I know that God's got this. And my mom and me, obviously both on the phone crying. Her going, I, what you, I, I, I don't understand. And then praise God, you know what? A week later she went and nothing was there. It was completely gone. This lump that was there was gone. And the doctors were like, I don't know. Here's, here's the picture. But it's, and God's like, don't ever question me again. I remember being him so clearly saying that to me. And I was like, deal. Uh, <laughs> but these moments of silence can really affect us. And I say this because Jesus faced this same thing. That God's word for him, the day he came, God's word for me was still my word today. And so, so many of us are running around chasing, trying to find something new, and we want to go to places and hear messages that are like, you need new wineskins, and you need new this, and everything's new, 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 new. And God's going, I'm not even done with the old wineskin yet. There's still some wine left in you to be used. And you're still, you're, all you do is beg for new. I'm not done pouring out what I gave you initially. And you want more. You haven't finished what I've given you. And this is why sometimes I might be silent. Because the thing I'm trying to tell you is still the thing I told you. And that's not always true. Hear my heart, I get that. But I think it's true more often than not. As I've talked to folks, as I unpack their stories, as I've done life, as we've seen these things happen, we get so obsessed with chasing what the new thing God might be saying to us. Because we find some kind of weird value in it. But at the same time, he has already spoken in so many ways about your work, about your family, about your career, about the things that you know you need to do. And so Jesus, again, gives us an example. Said, we could come and bring our prayers. But God's just going to go, I told you what to do. And even to his own son, silence. Because the mission was still the mission. The call was still the call. Nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. We still have more wine left to give, I believe, in a lot of these situations. The second point I want to make is that silence shows us whose voice we care about more. Silence will reveal to our hearts whose voice we really want to see more. God allows this silence to see how we react. Do we get like, like how, do, how do we act when, we're, when we don't hear something? Do we start to get fidgety? Do our hands start to move? Like do we start to want to, you know, like run around or do something or start something else or whatever the thing is. Like how do we get? God will allow silence to see how we react because he wants to know which voice we're chasing. Which voice are we trying to run after? Is it our own? Is it our friend's? God talks about all these really uncool things like endurance and patience and, you know, these things aren't fun. Nobody wants endurance. I think of running when I think of endurance. I hate running. 
I don't run. If I ever, if there's ever like a zombie apocalypse, like I'm the first one out. Like, if that's ever like a thing, I'm done immediately because like I'm, I'll be ten minutes in and be like, ugh, ugh. I'm just, just eat me. Uh, run, babe, you run. <laughs> I'll stop. I'll take her. Uh, but it's true. We these things like endurance and patience, strength. They are tested in our seasons of not knowing, of not hearing. Can you endure silence? Can you be patient in silence? Can we be strengthened when things aren't clear? And I love that Job is a a beautiful case study of this. If you ever just want to feel better about yourself at any point in your life, read Job. If you're like, man, things are bad, read Job. If you're like, this is the worst, read Job. Because this man really did experience the worst. This, this man had everything tanked from him. His family, his home, his career, his business, everything wiped out. And he's left kind of to his own devices. God completely steps back from the picture and goes silent. And I'm, you know, God and the enemy here have a bit of a wager. And God's like, no, he's, he'll, he'll stick it out. And the devil goes, no, nah, I got this. I'll make him get mad at you. Trust me. And what we see is this progression of, Everything good in Job's life being removed. And he's left alone. And this man is, he's mad. I mean, he gets to this point where, I don't have it on the screen because I'm not going to focus on the whole thing. But in Job 3, he basically laments the day he was born. (laughs) He says, let the day perish in which I was born. In the night that said, a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. I mean, this is, I mean, he's just like, I'm done. Like, I'm done. Take it out. Like, get me out of here. I don't want to do this. Curse me. Like, just finish me off. And you see, unpacking in these scriptures, he's got all these little buddies that are still around. And all these little friends are just kind of like, man, just, just curse God and die. Just curse God. Like, just say it. Because at the same time, he's going, God, he's never, he's never coming against God in this, which is really interesting, right? He's never kind of cursing God or saying how dare. He's feeling the weight of all this. He's going like, man, this is, must be something I've done terrible. This is why you're taking all this away. My life is this, so just take me out. But he's never once cursing God. But yet he's got all these friends and these people around him that are going, curse God. Just curse God and die. Just throw in the towel, man. Like, there's no shame in that. Like. This is not, this is bad. This is not okay. Like, you're in a bad situation, and we're empathizing with you. I would do it. I would take myself out if I was in your situation. And in this silence, God is trying to show him and everyone around him, like, whose voice matters more? Is it his? Is it his friend's? Is it just a random passerby? I was like, that guy looks miserable. I don't know why he's here. And this is why he'll mess with us and use silence to show us the voices that we care more about. Because it reveals in our hearts the anxieties of the things that we chase. And the things that we ultimately want. If we come in silence, do we naturally try to make a move on our own? Or can we just endure it? Can we have patience in it? 
And this is actually why good community matters, because you need good voices around you. This man was fighting to pursue God, but he had no, like, no backup. He had no backup. He's like, I just need to hang in there. But he's like, like, that's terrible. He's got no help. And this is why we try to, to build a place where, like, people can be known and be seen. And why we did this starting seven years ago in New York is because, like, this will matter. You will come into this season where you're not hearing anything, and that's okay because God is still with you. But you're going to need some good voices around you to tell you that God is still there and that God is still for you because you're not going to be hearing it for yourself. You're not going to be hearing it for yourself. And guess what? Two months later, you're probably going to need to be telling me that because I'm going to feel like I'm in a season where I'm not hearing something. Our marriage works that way. There's just, I feel like there's seasons where like, I just can't hear, but I'm so glad M can. And she could speak to me, and I'm so glad that when there's seasons that she feels like she's just not hearing it, I can sometimes, I hear too and, and, and can speak to her. And then there's sometimes where we both don't hear. And then we just hold our hands and be like, hmm. Quiet, kids. I'm trying to listen. I need more kombucha. Quiet. Hush. There's these voices, and God is trying to show us in silence whose voice matters more to you. Can you patiently wait and endure for mine? Or will you chase whatever is the loudest one? Whichever one is clapping the most, making the most sound. And ultimately, it leads us to what I think is our kind of third point. Is silence is actually trying to teach you to choose like God. Silence is actually trying to teach us to choose like him. If the whole point of our walk is to know Christ, to know God, well then, in my head, logically, eventually what we would be doing is acting like God. Walking like Jesus. The more you would get to know this Savior, the more we should be like this Savior. And that should start to come out in the way that we live our life. And I love Paul's journey, and Paul's a wild journey. You know, I could be wrong in this, and I looked pretty heavily, but there's only two moments where, where God really speaks to Paul. There's a moment of his conversion, when he's out there acting crazy, killing Christians, and Jesus shows up and goes, stop it now, <laughs> quit doing that, and blinds the guy. And there's this other part in Acts 18. And I'm going to read this because it's really interesting. So it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks and Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. His boys are starting to show up. Paul was occupied at the time with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, you'll blood bleed on your own hands. I am innocent, for now I will go to the Gentiles. Paul just got really salty. He was like, forget it, I'm done with you guys. The Gentiles like Jesus, I'm done with you Jews. And this is, you know, Paul's a Jew. He's like, I can't handle this anymore. And so he, and he left and went to the house of a man named Titus, 
Justin, a worshiper of God. His house was next door, actually, to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And then the Lord spoke to Paul one night in a vision. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And then he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And I find this interesting, is that Paul is, had an encounter with Jesus that was genuine and real. I mean, if he shows up while I'm driving, you know, one, please don't let me crash into anybody. But then, like, two, like, that's legit. And all of a sudden, you see him go from there just living out what he knew. We don't see a whole lot of interaction going on like we did in the Old Testament, right? Like, Paul's an interesting story because in the Old Testament, you kind of see David and you see the psalm where he's constantly communing and talking in God and asking him what to do. We don't see a lot of that with Paul. We see that we see moments where he, like, goes away and pray. But we don't see a lot in the scripture where it says, like, and then God spoke all these things to Paul. He had this one real encounter, and he goes, okay, i got to lead people to Jesus. I don't need to hear anything else. And he just got amongst it. He just got amongst it. And it's in this moment that he's just doing what he's doing. And then Jesus just speaks again, like, look, just don't be afraid. Just keep speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you. And then it says he stayed a year and six months. Jesus didn't tell him to stay a year and six months. God didn't say, he just stayed. He just, and I don't think Paul really understood a timing of it. He goes, look, okay, you want me to stay here? I'll stay here, I'll keep pursuing you, and I'll feel when it's time, it's time. You told me there's people here that still need you, then I'll do that. And there was no, like, if it's not by two years, God, I'm out. I give you two years here, God. You get two years in San Francisco to make me rich. You get two years, God, to make me do X. You get a year and a half to do this with me. He doesn't say any of that. He stays until it's done. And then a year and six months go by. That happens to be when it's done. God didn't tell him to do that. He just stayed until the work was done. And I think that's so important for us to understand in our understanding of how God speaks. Why would a God who is not bound by time work within time frames for us? It's not native to his language. We do that to make sense of things. We take time and say, oh, I need a construct of time to make my walk of God make sense so that I can have a measurable result. That if in two years this is here and this is here and this is here, everything will be as it should be. And if it's not, then I'm not. God's like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't use time the same way you do. In the beginning, the first day, that word does not denote 24 hours. The original translation of the word day is a nonlinear 24-hour day. So when they wrote in the first day, we don't know if they're talking about it took a day. We don't know if it took a billion years. We don't know if it took five minutes. We have had to use time, and God is going, look, I'm less concerned with time. I'm more concerned about you doing what I asked you to do. Can you do what I've asked you to do? Can you, Jesus, do what I've asked you to do? Go to the cross. Can you stick to the mission? And that might take you 100 years. 
But guess what? I'm with you in it all. And as you're doing your thing, I'll speak up and tell you, don't be afraid. And this is the interesting part. When God is silent, to me, and what we see in Scripture, this little chunk from Jesus, you go on speaking. You don't be silent. You don't be silent. When you're feeling silence, you talk. You speak. You proclaim the things that David did earlier. He's going, I'm hearing nothing. But then he shifts gears, right? And starts to praise and starts to speak. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and in him I am helped, my exalt. And with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is saving refuge. He starts to speak when he's hearing nothing. He starts to become his own best preacher. He's like, if I'm not hearing from God, I'm going to preach to myself. I'm going to proclaim that God is good, that God has done things, that God has been there, that God has removed things out of my life, that God has brought things into my life, that God is moving. And when I don't hear something, it's because I need to speak to the God that I know, to the things that I've seen God do. And I believe that God would be saying that to you, like, proclaim that God is good. Get to speaking. Quit waiting to be spoken to when you speak. If you pursue God, if you're a loving God, if your heart is inclined to want to do what God's doing, then you're fine. That's why Paul is such a great example. He wanted to do right by God. He wasn't sitting and fretting whether he was in Corinth or whatever. He was just going about teaching and spreading the gospel and loving on people. And then every now and then we would see that Jesus would drop in a little thing. And he would just keep going. Yes, he was praying. Yes, he was doing what David did. Yes, he was coming just like Jesus did, just like David did. They were praying to God. But they weren't always hearing something. They were bringing their heart, but then just finishing their mission. They were bringing their petitions. They were bringing their concerns, but not getting hung up on them. They just kept going. Don't be silent. Quit waiting for God to speak to you and speak. Quit searching for something that is probably already been spoken to you. Because what happens is, is you end up feeling schizophrenic. You end up chasing whatever voice is loudest. Well, I, nobody's told me what to do over here. But now there's like a thing over here and it's like screaming in my ear. So I'll go that way because that's the one making the loudest noise. And I'll go in that direction. Silence is good for us because God is wanting you to learn how to speak like him. God is wanting you to learn how to act like him. That we don't have to ask every single thing. That as we pursue God, the natural outpouring of that is that you think, you act, you walk, you respond more like God. I don't have to ask God, like, do I treat this person fairly at work? Oh, Lord, should I not blast them on email? Like, I don't need to ask that. Don't do it. Like, I know not to do that. Why would I ask God for that? I know, and that's, that's the point. Lord, should I be kind? Lord, should I do these things? Lord, should I, should I do my good work or find a new job? God's like, you have to do good work no matter what. I've called you to do good work. I've called you to treat every job that you have with a passion commitment. I don't care if it's on your 10-year journey. 
You're there now. You're there now. Pursue it now. Give it your all now. Focus on it now. Give it your attention now. Sow into it now. This is what I'm wanting to do with you. And if we run around like frantic people because we've had a little bit of silence, it makes us ineffective. It makes us ineffective. And all these people in Scripture that God is showing us, they over time grew so comfortable with silence. They still brought their prayers, but they knew at the core of them what God had asked them to do. They knew. Jesus knew. Paul knew. We have something to do. And I love that God then speaks. God spoke to me about my mom because I was doing what God wanted me to do. And it was funny. I didn't feel, I didn't hear God talk to tell me to go to really Australia. I did tell him, I did hear him talk to me after all that happened. Because I was obedient first. I was feeling this nudge in this midst of silence like, God, I need to, something needs to change. And that something led me there. But I wasn't hearing God speak to me in that moment. And I even remember that day that I was about to leave with a friend. And I'm like, I, and still being like, I don't know if this is even it's not like I've like heard like Chad. It was there was none of that. Rise from your bed. There was none of that. Henceforth take a Qantas flight. Like there was nothing. I just and I remember with my being there with my buddy, just being like, I don't know if this is right. And he goes, I don't know either. He's like, but I trust the God inside of you. And I remember being so floored by that simple statement. I trust the God inside of you. Because he my friend knew me. He knew that I was praying, that I was seeking God, that I, even though I wasn't hearing anything, I wanted to, to do what God wanted to do. And in that, as I pursued God, I started to think like God. I started to act like God. I started to get inclinations like God, and that led me there. And then as I got there and I encountered a hard situation, then he speaks. He spoke to me out of my obedience, just like he spoke to Paul. Paul was already doing his thing. He was already being obedient, walking out what he had been asked to do. And then just the way Jesus can, he shows up and encourages Paul's heart. He encouraged my heart. He's like, don't worry, Chad. I've got this. I've got your mom. Don't you think I know that this is tough? Don't you think I know that that's hard? Like, do you think I'm that mean? Do you not know that I see all of this? I've seen this. I knew that this was coming because I don't see time in snippets. It's not revealed to me in like bits the way it is to you. I, did you not know that I got this? But I stick to what I told you to do. Stick to what I told you to do. And watch me move. And I love that. Again, like with Paul, with Jesus, out of those moments came some of these incredible things. The church was started by just people seeking God. They weren't hearing from him. And then one day it was just, then it happened. That's what the upper room was. They were just praying, seeking, loving, doing all the right things. They were being obedient. And then God came. Paul was just doing his thing. And then God spoke. Jesus was just doing his thing. And then God spoke. David was just being a shepherd boy. And then God spoke. There was, this, there was these moments where they were just living their lives but they understood who God was. And it was why 
David could praise at the same time that he was like, I don't hear anybody. Because he'd seen all that God had done. And he knew that God would do it again. He'd seen everything the Lord had done. And he knew that God could continue to do it if he just stayed obedient to the thing God told him to do. And I think that's a word for us. And I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you in that if you want to come up. To just embrace that silence. Stop letting it make you go crazy. Stop letting it create turmoil in your heart. It doesn't need to. If anything, it should be this assurance that God has probably already spoken. And again, I like to assume that we are not dumb. That if we take moments, I'm convinced in most things in life, if we take three minutes and just kind of put all the nonsense aside, we know exactly what we need to do. We do it all the time because we see it in every kind of situation, whether it's, you know, something as like casual and funny as like dating is like, I don't know. You know, who's had the conversation? It's like, I know I need to break up, but I don't break up. Anybody have that conversation? We've all had that conversation, right? Like, we know these things. We're so much more in tune because truth be told, if you're pursuing God, you're more in tune than you realize. If you're praying and not hearing, you're still praying. That means you're still receiving whether you're hearing anything or not. God is still doing something whether you're hearing or not. And every prayer, every petition, every thing lifted up to him. He is responding in a way that you can't hear, but he's doing it in your soul. He's doing it in your heart. So that you can have the endurance, that you can have the patience to do it like any good father when it comes time for that like pep talk you need that little nudge he'll be there he'll give you that nudge he'll give you that hey just keep going you're safe here there's still more work to be done you've been doing fine you've been pursuing you've been doing your thing keep going speak don't be quiet don't be silent keep speaking keep talking keep telling people about me keep proclaiming what God has done keep articulating all that I am to people. Keep proclaiming all that I am to people. And God will do what he needs to do. God will move in a way that he needs to move. And so let's stand. I just want to 